0: This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author, fanatical prospecting, objections, sales EQ, and inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. On this episode, I'm with David Newman, who wrote a brand new book called Do It Selling. So I've got it right here. He's also the author of Do It Marketing. And this book is written for people who are consultants, who are solopreneurs, uh, who are building a business. But if you're a sales professional, really in any discipline, what we're gonna talk about today directly impacts you. So you wanna stick around and pay attention to this. We're gonna get to Dave in just a moment, but, fo- but before we do that, I wanna make sure that you go check out Salesgrave University. You can find SalesGravy University at learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com. Right now, more than 70,000 salespeople from companies all over the world are leveraging SalesGravy to upskill, to learn how to sell more, to make themselves better closers, better prospectors. And they're doing it five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes at a time with our microbytes and our micro courses that make it super easy to learn. And if you've got a sales team, you can get into our team hub, where you can have your entire team learning together in a branded space. And if you work for a large company, you can grab our content and integrate it directly into your LMS or your sales enablement platform. We've got more than 40 experts who are teaching courses on sales gravy and live courses and mastermind groups that are coming out every single week. Right now, if you've never taken a course before on Sales Gravy, it's your very first time, just use the code free course at learn.salesgravy.com. That's free course at learn.salesgravy.com, but take any course in our catalog and give it a try. David Newman, welcome to the Sales Gravy Podcast.
1: Deb, it is a pleasure and an honor.
0: Tell us a little bit about you and... Um, and why people should pay attention to you in, uh, in, in your area of expertise?
1: Sure. Well, I think my my first claim to fame, and I know many of your other guests have said this also, when I started out, I was a sales disaster, like total sales train wreck. Did not know how to prospect, did not know how to how to open, did not know how to close, did not know anything. And it, years and years and years of struggle as an entrepreneur, I finally figured out, you know, this sales thing. I better start to learn this. Otherwise, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. The kids are not going to eat. The dog is not going to eat. No one's going to eat. So I started out really focused on marketing because marketing came more naturally to me. So that's the first book that you mentioned there, Jeb, Do It Marketing. And then I realized, well, you can get someone to knock on the door. But then when the prospect opens the door, it would be basically malpractice not to tell them what to do. So, in the Do It marketing book, about thirty percent of that content was sales. And then when I work with consultants and consulting firms where they really don't like the concept of sales and selling, even though they have to do it every single day, uh, those folks they just absolutely, uh, you know, there. I'm I'm reading some books now. Uh, about professional services sales and what i'm reading is making me nuts things like no selling required it's like are you kidding selling is required for everything every single aspect of your life so with the do it selling book i realized that that 30 percent that was in the marketing book i need to expand on that i need to delve deep into sales mindset sales tool sets, sales skill set especially for folks that are sort of accidental salespeople that they just kind of fell into a sales role or as an entrepreneur, they realize it's not about doing the work, it's about getting the work. And so that's where that has come from. And so for the last 15 or so years, that's what I've been focused on, which is professional services selling. But as you said, you can sell products, you can sell services, you can sell B2B, you can sell industrial. The the principles really are applicable to everybody.
0: Very good. And I, you know, when you talk about, you know, people, t- they just don't want to sell or they don't like to sell. I was talking to a consultant. I was in London just recently and we were sitting down having lunch and uh, he was complaining because his business wasn't growing fast enough and they needed a little bit more. And I'm like, well, you know, here's some, some things that I would do if I were in your shoes. I, I would go out and do this. I would go do this. I would go reach out here. And he said, I just can't do any of that. I just don't like selling. And I'm like, OK, well, here's the choice. Like you can you can stay where you are. Or you can make a choice to go out and actually do something. Like you, there's some activity that you have to do. You've got to go have conversations with people. You got to go talk with people. You know, even like I see, you know, behind you, see your book, Do It Speaking. The in, in like one of one of in fanatical prospecting, I talk about one of the easiest ways to get leads is just to go to your local chamber of commerce or go to the local rotary club. You're an expert in something and volunteer to speak. And as soon as you speak, people will line up in front of you and hand you their business cards. So I think that absolutely, I think it's a, I think there's this, you know, this, I don't know, belief that somehow another like it's going to be some field of dreams. Like you're going to build it and it's going to come. And I, and I, when I'm, when I'm hired to work with, with, uh, with independent contractors, marketers, consultants, in a lot of cases, when I'm giving you know speeches to them and working with them. That's what I show them. Like I'm sitting in front of them and go, look, you decided to be a consultant, and you decided to set up a shop and put your single out, and then what did you do? You got your website ready to go, and then you got your business cards ready to go, and then you wrote emails, and then you wrote letterhead, and then you did this, and you did this, and you got everything organized, and you plan to plan to plan. About that time, everybody in the audience is doing this. I said, you plan to 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 maybe have a conversation with somebody about what you do, but you never had the conversation and now you're starving to death and they all go just like that. You know, they're all, the heads are nodding. <clears throat> so I think that um, the big thing in this book is uh, is do it. Like you have to do something, you have to take action and uh, and you you have to take that action every single day. And if you yes. don't do it, it won't work. And one of the chapters you talked about, um, there's there's no bluebirds. You didn't use the word bluebirds, but there's no out of the blue. Right. And I, that was a powerful message because I had the same, same conversation with salespeople. We call them the sales gods, right? If you're doing lots of stuff, the sales gods have a way of rewarding you, but they didn't reward you because you were sitting around waiting for them like a rain barrel to reward you. They rewarded you because you were doing lots of stuff. So let's talk about that just for a moment, this concept of working every angle that you can consistently to create a waterfall of leads that sometime looked to you like they showed up serendipitously, but they didn't actually show up serendipitously. They happened because you did things that create the, 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 the environment for that to happen for you.
1: Yes, totally. So the chapter in the Do It Selling book is there is no blue. So it just came out of the blue. This lead just dropped into my lap. And then sometimes the corollary to that is people say, well, you know, I don't need to sell because all our business is 100% word of mouth. We're 100% referral. And they're so proud of that. And they're so happy about that. And I see someone where, when I hear that, especially from a professional services seller, it's like, man, oh man, you are putting a limit on your business. You are putting a limit on your revenue. You are putting a limit on the success of your firm. So when people are just waiting around for stuff to come out of the blue, That is absolutely the wrong approach. That is reactive versus proactive. And you absolutely have to put fresh targets on your radar daily. Now, part of this plan, there's the client attraction phase, then there's the client conversation phase. One of the things I talk about Jeb in the book is having a 3PR game plan. 3PR is an acronym for personalized professional public relations. Now, it's not public relations like press releases and media interviews. It is a three-legged stool. Leg number one is speaking. And I put speaking in a much larger box. It's not necessarily speaking to groups in person. It could be speaking on a podcast like you and I are doing. It could be live streaming. It could be YouTube. It could be short video emails that you're sending out to groups of prospects. Uh, a speaking strategy is a one-to-many lead generator, and it's a one-to-many sales platform. So speaking is part one of your 3PR strategy. Second, publishing. Publishing does not mean publishing a book. Like you have some amazing books. I have a couple of good books. Uh, it's not that kind of publishing. It is publishing articles. It's publishing on LinkedIn. It's publishing blogs. It's publishing short white papers, cheat sheets, checklists, things that are relevant and valuable to your target market. So writing is leg number two of the three-legged stool. The third leg is social media. So social media is be active where your prospects are active online, not just social media platforms necessarily, but blogs, portals, communities, groups, forums, Where your target market is already engaging, they're already paying attention, they're already probably asking questions that your product or service is brilliant at solving, you're not there, you can't participate in those conversations. And so the three PR strategy, speaking to raise your visibility, publishing to raise your credibility, and social media or online activity to raise your spread ability or share ability. You do those things, you will have more leads than you know what to do with. And the mantra in the do it selling book is we do need to put fresh targets on our radar every single day. And I would add to that
0: talking with people. Yeah. Here's why, because if we think about most consultants, not all consultants, I'm a little bit different. I've got a, you know, a large worldwide audience that we work with. But most of the consultants that I work with are active in their local communities. So you live in Knoxville, Tennessee, you're going to be working typically with businesses that are in Knoxville or in Nashville, but are close by to you, especially if you're a business to business consultant. And if you work in a city like Atlanta, you're probably only going to be working with companies in Atlanta because there's, I don't know, 4 million people in Atlanta or some number like that. I'm sure I'll get fact checked on that, but there's a lot of them out there. So so there is getting out and having conversations with people, and one of the things, David, I've noticed, and I'm I'm seeing this everywhere, is that even though we're past the pandemic, and even though it feels like it never happened, there are a lot of people who are living in pandemic hangover. So that they think that being on social media, they think that being on a live stream is actually having a conversation with another human being, and it is not. And and personally, what I'm finding is I'm getting on airplanes and getting them on cars, and I'm and I'm going on face-to-face sales calls, even though I don't have to go on one, I'm doing it anyway because it's giving me a competitive edge because I'm meeting human beings where they are. And human beings, despite the fact that we're we're still in that world where we're keeping people at arm's length, at least emotionally, they want to interact with other human beings. So go go to your, your Chamber of Commerce events. Go to, like I just went to a Chamber of Commerce event here in Augusta, Georgia that was awesome. I met some amazing people I normally wouldn't have gone, but I'm like, let's go talk to people. Let's go spend time with people. Go to your Rotary Club, go to your local you know, festivals, go out, have conversations, meet people, shake hands. You can't be afraid of that because if you're creating familiarity with your voice and you're creating familiarity with your face and you're creating familiarity with your message, then when people see you, they'll go, hey, I saw you. People have to do that all the time, hey, Jeb, I saw a video you were on. And now I'm in a conversation and that's where
1: serendipity happens. Absolutely. And so the three PR game plan is simply a lead generator. One of the principal tenets of the do it selling book is exactly what you're saying. Nothing good happens outside of a conversation. So for the folks that are a little bit sales reluctant early on in the book, I talk about, if you don't like the word sales, you don't like the word selling, here's your new, new definition. Are you sending enough invitations to a conversation with enough of the right people, the conversation is about how you can help them. Now, sometimes that's not even a commercial relationship. Sometimes it's a helping call. Sometimes it's a networking call. Sometimes that will result in an introduction. Sometimes that will result in a referral. Sometimes that person may be the right person at the wrong time and they come back in three months or six months or a year, or when they get a new job and they say, Jeb, now I can hire you. You've been so helpful. You've been so valuable. I've read your books. We've talked on multiple occasions. Now I wanna bring you in to, to work with our team. So invitation to a conversation when i say put fresh prospects on your radar daily that's literally are you sending enough invitations to a conversation with a real live human being who you can help not necessarily with the intent to sell but the intent to open a conversation and see where that goes okay
0: that all sounds good but who? Like who am I going to talk to? Who am I inviting? Who am I talking? Who who's who's who should I be selling to or having a conversation with if you're afraid of the word sales? Don't be afraid of the word sales. Let's let's let me let me set this up for you. <clears throat> Every salesperson everywhere, whether you are a consultant, solopreneur, or you work for a big company, you have the 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 challenge of who do I target? And and and, and layers of people that you're going to target because there's segments. There's people that are, are opportunities that are really, really high potential. And there are ones that are medium potential, low potential. That's a big issue. So you've got that number one thing. The second thing is is that you earlier on in your book, you talk about this, but we're living in a time of insane volatility and uncertainty. It is a roller coaster out there. And because of that, your target is moving all the time. So the, your ideal qualified prospect or an IQP, that isn't static. So you've got a problem of finding the money in a world where everything is changing. And I'm curious about the frameworks that you use to help people with that, that process of identifying where the money is.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, the first thing is making a big, strong, bold decision. So one of the things about really targeting a niche or a target market is, have you decided, have you made an internal decision to define the ponds and the pools that you wanna play in? Because the huge mistake is trying to target everyone. Like everyone needs what I do. Everyone needs more sales training. Everyone needs better leadership. Everyone needs more X, Y, Z. You're a financial advisor. Everyone needs to be smarter with their money. It's like, well, yes, but you and I cannot reach everyone. And everyone doesn't have a wallet. Everyone doesn't have a checkbook. Everyone doesn't have a credit card. Some people, individual human beings and groups of individual human beings that you can do your best work with where you've got the reach, you've got the relevance, you've got the right names to drop, you've got the right stories to tell. If you zero in on exactly the right people that you wanna serve, where you've got some track record, some experience, some expertise, you have a high degree of confidence that you can help them, number one, your life becomes so much easier because at that point, you know where to speak, you know where to network, you know where to build relationships. The big mistake I see, Jeb, is one day a sales professional is talking to an accountant. The next day they're talking to an engineering company. The next day they're talking to the National Association of Lunch Ladies. The problem is the accountant doesn't talk to the engineer. The engineer doesn't talk to the lunch lady. And the lunch lady doesn't talk to the first person. So building up a universe of influence, you have to go narrow and you have to go deep once you've established some credibility in one market, then yes, you can push your elbows out, go to an adjacent market or or go to a different market. But sometimes we're just skimming the surface like a guppy and we get one of this kind of client and then one of that kind of client and then one of this kind of customer and one of that kind of customer and you never build up a momentum and you never build up a track record within a certain industry where now you can start to unleash repeat business, referral business, introduction business, upselling, cross-selling, et cetera. So the two most powerful words, if you're thinking about where do I start to sell, where do I start to invite people to conversations is define and decide. And part of that is where have you done your best work? Where, what are, Who are the people you can help the most? Where have you gotten the greatest results for people? If you have testimonials, testimonial clips, testimonial videos, where are those people? Who are your favorite people? Who would you wanna spend the rest of your life on a desert island as your prospect community, as your client community? Those are the people to target. And now you know where to publish, you know where to speak, you know where to network, you know where to post, you know what blogs, portals, forums and communities to get involved in. And now the snowball effect starts to, to kick in because you're not just constantly pinballing from one market or one target group to another.
0: Let's let's dial this in a little bit deeper, because um, I think that um, I, I don't want to offend you. That was really surface level. Like we didn't really give anybody an answer there. So let's sure. let's let's. Let's just take a couple of pieces out of this. One is, what's your vertical? What industry vertical are you working in and what is successful? And and folks, if you're listening, that, that's what I mean by, by things moving. You may be working in a vertical today. Let me give you an example. At the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, we had a really big presence in sports. So we were selling to ticket teams. So you sell tickets, we help you. And we were all over the place in there. So... March 14th, 2020, sports is shut down. Guess what? You can have the best presence in the world in that particular vertical and you're dead in the water. There is no money there. So we switched to banking because there were all of these, all the federal money was going into banks, and we, and in particular, we went to small and regional banks because they had an opportunity to capture market share from the big banks. That right now in the news cycle you can see they're giving some of that market share back, but at the time they could capture it, and so we started shifting into that space, and we started to get some traction, and we just moved all of our focus there. So. If you start thinking about it, it's it's like, OK, I, I, I'm really good here or I really like it here. But if you really like doing something that doesn't have any money in it, then you're in the wrong place. So because yeah. at some point you got to feed your family. So one of the things that I've used over the years, David, to identify a vertical is I start looking for patterns of success. And what I mean by that is, give you an example. Um, Back in the, this was back in the mid nineties, but this was a really successful vertical for me in the mid nineties. I was, uh, I I got a clue that OSHA had changed the regulation that was impacting the electrical industry, our electrical um, utility industry. So I made a couple of phone calls. I got in a couple of accounts and I made a couple of sales. And I started asking questions about who influences who, um, what does this look like? And it turned out that there were a lot of small utilities in South Carolina that belong to an association that managed those utilities. So I thought, well, there's an opportunity here. So I called the association, started learning more about that and very quickly pivoted all of my time and energy into that particular sector because I, I looked at the risk and said, there's a very low risk for me to do this because they all need the product. And B, there's no one else in this space. Like I'm the only person asking these questions right now. And almost everybody is chasing the big fish but these little fish out there have lots of money and nobody's paying attention to them. So I think you have to, as you start looking at verticals, you want to start looking at the data around the vertical. Is there money there? How many opportunities are there? If you're in a regional or a local area, how many companies or how many businesses fit into that space? And is there long-term viability in this industry for you? And are there any threats to that industry, specifically that if you get super, like, you know, embedded in that industry are there things that could mess you up. Then I ask, is this something I want to do? Like, do I really want to work with these folks? Yeah. Uh, and, and and in my practice today, there are industries I don't want to work with because they're not any fun and I don't like them. And so there's lots of money there, but there's other industries where there is money. But I do think we have to begin at that point, and that means you have to start looking at the patterns and. To me, David, this is super important because if you're starting out, and a lot of people who are reading this book are people who, they're starting. Like they don't have an established consulting business. They're they're trying to look for answers. If they don't skim across the top of the pond, they're gonna starve to death. So you are naturally gonna go, you're gonna be over here, you're gonna be over here, you're gonna be over here, you're gonna be over here because I've started businesses. And when you start a business, sometimes you take what comes to you, like you got to right. close the business. So you're going you're gonna to end up in a place where you're wide and not deep. And I think that I, I would like to get out of your mind, like how would you analyze your book of accounts that you currently have against data in the marketplace to say, this is a vertical where I should probably start establishing an expertise, start networking in, start figuring out, sort of like I did in the electrical utility industry and recognizing that, there's a real opportunity in this space that no one is attacking.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I think there's a couple of things. Um, Number one, it's not necessarily new people. It could be folks that are in a market that has dried up and they have a lot of expertise and experience, but now it's time to make that shift you were talking about. So the best way to talk about this, I think might be a couple of examples. I worked with a consulting company. This was about four or five years ago. They said, here's our target market. We work with pharmaceutical companies that are global and have at least 10,000 employees. And I said, wow, that is super specific. I said, how did you come to that? Well, pharmaceutical has money because they generally always have money. Uh, 10,000 people mean there's a lot of people to train. There's a lot of people to coach. And global, she literally said this, my husband and I, we love to travel. So we're going to Paris, we're going to Egypt, we're going to South Africa, we're going to Vancouver, we're going to wherever. And she said, that's the business that I want to have. And so this is a multi seven figure business. And she had no problem penetrating that market, global, pharmaceutical, 10,000 employees and up. Anything smaller than that wasn't even worth her time. She didn't enjoy them. It was too much bureaucracy, too much nonsense to get in. Budgets were too small, all of that kind of stuff. Different guy says, we work with cloud consulting companies. And I said, well, that's interesting because I kind of knew that he had studied this and kind of figured out what was what. I said, how many prospects do you have? He says, David, there's 59,000 of them. And I said, wow. And he goes, not only are there 59,000, there's probably more than that. I only work with cloud consulting companies between 500K and 5 million in revenue and one to 20 people. And that's my entire universe. There's 59,000 of them. I know where they go. I know where they meet. I know what they read. I know where they go for their conferences and associations and meetings. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. So you need to get that super specific. One of the stories that I talk about in the Do It Selling book, there was a, a detective show and they were on a stakeout. And at one point, at a critical point in this story, they lost the suspect, didn't hear anything, didn't see anything, he disappeared off the radar. He went to have an important meeting with someone and these two detectives totally lost the trail. They go back to the station house. Their captain says, you lost them? You don't know who he met? You don't know what he said? You don't know what he did? He said, listen, I need you to follow this guy. I need you to watch his every move, every second of every day, what it, what he does, where he goes, who he talks to, what he says. I need you to know how he likes his eggs. And that was the punchline. We need to know how our prospects like their eggs. And to your point, do they have the ability to pay? Are they eager to pay, right? So it's not only, oh, they have budget, but they have budget for this, that this is an urgent, pervasive, expensive problem that they are willing to pay, they're able to pay. In fact, they're expecting to pay premium fees so that you want to come across their radar as a trusted advisor who who is reassuringly expensive. Please burn that into your memory cells, burn that into your brain cells. We all need to be selling into a market that the credibility and the viability of our products and services are perceived at a higher level when we are reassuringly expensive. So, absolutely, the financial viability of the target market that you choose really, really important. Otherwise, you'll just waste months and years talking to people that might need you desperately but cannot afford to pay your your fees and your prices.
0: Very good. Now, what's the um, what's the process that that you should be looking at as you look ahead? Like. Uh, For me, for example, I read the Wall Street Journal every day, every single day. And if I've got the TV on, typically I'm watching something like Bloomberg or CNBC. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. There's a lot of data coming at you, a lot of patterns coming at you. But I've always thought that if you're looking, if you can get like over the horizon and think about where you're going to go, like, you know, be where the puck's going to be, not where it is, that that helps you get ahead. And I think a lot of people, a lot of salespeople, a lot of consultants, you're so heads down and myopic at where you are that you're not thinking about where things might move in this crazy world that we're in. What's your advice for uh, for an individual for getting ahead of the curve and 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 really thinking about how they might pivot and if they're in that situation, how do they you know how do they even begin that process?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I think there's macro level research that we all need to be doing on the target industries that we are penetrating. What are their challenges? What are their opportunities? And this is easy. You go to a few websites of publicly held companies, you download the annual report, you go to their press page, their media page. This is the stakeout that I was talking about. You need to know how they like their eggs. So what are the opportunities? What are the trends as far as market forces, disruption? What's going on as far as compliance and regulatory? Like you said also, Jeb, who's getting money? Who's getting funded? Where are some of the macro level shifts from industry to industry? And really think about what you do relative to those problems or those opportunities. How can you insert yourself? into the where they're already spending money, where they're already paying attention. And this is really about deep dive research. Now, as we're recording this, of course, the world's going crazy with AI and chat GPT. And we now have uh nuclear level research capabilities that we've never had before. And people are still They're still cold calling, dumb calling, blind calling, whatever you want to call it. And thats I think that's professional sales malpractice. So the, the kind of research that we need to be doing is focused on showing up on their doorstep, immediately relevant, immediately valuable, and immediately insightful. So one of the things that I talk about in the Do It Selling book is every single prospect that you ever reach out to. Initial outreach, no matter how you know good, bad, or otherwise, they're asking three questions. Why this, why me, and why now? So why am I getting this? Why are they sending this to me personally and particularly? And why right now at this moment in time? So we all get these crazy pitches on email and LinkedIn, like random spam. Think about someone who has prepared, think about someone who knows you, who knows how you like your eggs, knows what your current challenges are, probably, knows what some of your current opportunities are, probably, and customizes that approach that only you could possibly receive that that message. So for example, if I'm coming out with a new book, and Jeb, you come out with like new books every six months, I don't know how you do it, but you're coming out with a new book, someone, someone says, hey, Jeb, You're a New York Times bestselling author. You have these amazing string of bestsellers. You have a new book coming out in two months because I saw that on your blog. We actually run Amazon campaigns to help you hit New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, blah, 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 blah. Would that be worth a short chat? That is not a random email. They cannot copy and paste that email to anybody else. If you do your homework and you do your, your due diligence on Jeb and Jeb's world, You would likely take that meeting, would you not? No, I
0: would would not not take that meeting. meeting If someone really
1: tell me why not,
0: I do not respond to email prospecting. You have to call me. There's only one way you're going to get through to me. Absolutely, look at you. I get a thousand emails a day. They all get trashed. So the only way you're going to something
1: totally customized, totally relevant, totally personal to you.
0: Nope. And most of the emails not totally customized or totally relevant to me. It's being written by robots, and it's almost all fake. And people copy and paste exactly what you said over and over and over again. And uh, so I'm I'm absolutely the email prospecting is dead for right now because okay. we've overused it over the LinkedIn. last few years. Um, I'm here's guessing what, the same with LinkedIn. Here's what to live. A live is having a conversation with people. Yeah. LinkedIn for me, I, like I get, you know, I'm getting a thousand LinkedIn messages a day. Most of most of it's being driven by robot. I don't even answer it. People go, yeah. "Hey, I sent you a LinkedIn message." And I'm like, "Yeah, call me." So my phone number is on my LinkedIn profile. Call me. So if you think about if you think about it, it's the the for me personally, right? I'm not I'm not going to respond to your email because you didn't actually try. You just sent an email. What I'll respond to is if you call me. And when salespeople call me, they get appointments because they cared enough to pick up the phone, they cared enough to have a conversation. And guess what? I carry a phone with me everywhere I go, and everybody in the world knows the number. And it turns out that, you know, if you ring a phone, it actually, you can talk to it. And by the way, in the world of AI, the only thing that is real and the only thing that we can trust is this.
1: Yeah. So wow,
0: words are fake going forward forever. Let's go back to the question that I asked because I want to get this out of you. So sure. I'm in a I'm in a vertical and I'm trying to um to focus on my ideal qualified prospect. Mm-hmm. And the world is changing around me. How do I get over the hump? Like how do I know that I need to to pivot? What should I be doing in my business as a salesperson to plan for the future? How do I look at those patterns, pull them apart so that I'm able to shift into another vertical or into another space? effortlessly like from from your standpoint what are those what are those frameworks and touch points because we're talking about you know messaging on an email but that doesn't necessarily help me with where's my target market
1: sure well i think i think the first part of my answer before i got off onto this crazy rant is is really about that research so industry level research company level research executive level research and then you know either pick up the phone or clearly we're not going to email you, but somehow reach well, I'm out. I'm talking about with more macro relationships. I'm not
0: talking about picking up the phone. I'm talking about business planning. Like we're talking about when we talk about IQP and targets, where This is a business planning ex, you know exercise. Mm-hmm. When you say I'm only going to target pharmaceutical companies that are global in nature that have ten thousand employees, you didn't just pick that out of the air. Like you had to sit down and build that plan to think through it. Now what sure. we were talking about earlier is. Like if you're running a a new business or you're starting off, or maybe you've like your business has hit a plateau. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of different motions there. If you're if you're a bit a new person and you're you're wide, not deep, what you have to start looking is what are the patterns in your wide that, hey, there's something else here. You got to be aware of that. If you yes. hit a plateau, you probably are starting to evaluate: is the vertical I am really helping me? But now I got to think about okay, the world's going to change and it's going to change every day. Like sometimes you can't see a pandemic coming, right? But in the middle of a pandemic, you can see where's the money going. Now, I use tools like Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg. Um, You know, LinkedIn is one of those places, although those signals can be a little bit corrupted. I'm just curious about like, how should I be looking ahead? Should I be taking time quarterly and planning? Should I be should I be? How, how do I lift myself out of the minutiae and noise of, I got to fill up the pipeline today to think
1: about where the puck's going to be? Well, I think that you have to dedicate, you do have to dedicate some time to the strategic direction of where you want your business or your book of business to go. So, you know, uh, nine months ago, banking was an awesome, viable, fantastic place to be. Today, Silicon Valley Bank, the whole meltdowns, the bailouts, all this craziness. I mean, literally, it imploded within 24 hours. And like you said, hey, if I have all my eggs in that basket, I'm no longer going to go into banking. I'm going to figure out where else based on research, based on conversations, based on going back to past clients, figuring out where is the puck going and where do I have some transferable skills where they do have the ability to pay, they're eager to pay, and they have the problems, the same kind of problems, headaches, heartaches, challenges, and gaps that your product or your service is brilliant at solving. That cycle of relook, move, shift, and set up camp somewhere new, that is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, it used to be, hey, I pick a target market, I'm, I'm gonna work here for five years. Then it's, hey, I'm gonna pick a target market, I'm, I'm good here for two years. Now it's probably three to six months. And not to say that you have to change every three to six months, you have to have a good hard look every three to six months to see what are the market forces? What are the technology forces? What are the regulatory and compliance forces? That's what you're looking at the Wall Street Journal. That's what you're looking at on LinkedIn. That's what you're looking at in the industry and trade publications that you're focused on for that industry. And you gotta be the bird in the canary that when you start to smell something funky, Plan B needs to hit before plan A. Okay, good.
0: That's what I wanted to get. So some of this is intuition, right? You smell something funky. Like for example, if you were a customer experience or a customer retention consultant, right now, small and regional banks are a great place to be because there are customers who are taking money out of those banks and moving them other places. You know, my banker just had a conniption because we just took a whole bunch of money out of the bank and we moved it to someplace else but 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 he's but the way he responded to it was very poor like it it didn't help his case right so but if you're but if you're a person who like works in in, in that space and you know you help banks like you know mitigate risk that that just that canary just flew out of the cave it's done right out of the mine so it it is that that process of intuition and that's that's really what I wanted to get to when you start yeah. looking at IQPs there's no perfect world and and, and there's never going to be a perfect world. So in a lot of cases, what people will tell you is, you know, this is my ideal qualified prospect. And I think for salespeople in the real world, right, you're going to sometimes get something that's a unicorn, but almost never. Most of the time, what you're working on is going to have some hair on it in some ways. So it really is about gauging the probability that this is the right vertical, the right prospect, the right client for you over time. And then always looking ahead like you you nailed this when you said the 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 cycle's getting shorter and shorter and shorter and in a in a world that's moving as fast as we're moving if you don't have awareness you're going to get your clock cleaned so you've got to constantly be looking and saying okay where do i need to go where do i need to go where do i need to go and that may be adjacent in your in your space so um, and that really brings me to the next subject in some cases, and I've made a living like hitting singles, like I are fishing for small fish in the small pond. And you pick a single out, pick a single out, pick a single out. And I even know like when I when I first started my company back in 2007, I was single, 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 bunt, right. And, you know, and that was picking up his little fish. And then one day I closed a multinational Fortune 100 company and everything in my life changed. Th- I didn't quit hitting singles, but suddenly, like I'm in a different place. Not only did I have the logo on the wall, and I could say to other companies, "I take care of them," so it gave me credibility. Right. But the amount of money that was coming into my organization from a volume standpoint, not as profitable as the as the small fish, but the amount that was coming in was a game changer. If yes. you if you talk to salespeople who are trying to level up to large deals. And especially consultants like in your practice you like you, you want to level up to small deals that can be like it can almost look like an obstacle that you can't overcome how do i get into a big company and you write about this in your book in fact you put big fish and small fish right together right and, I, yeah. and what i really like about that is that you didn't treat one as better than the other you just treated them both and yeah. i think that's i think that's important because I'm a big fan of single, single, double, double, triple, home run. Like hit them all. Yeah. Um, talk to me about how a consultant salespeople can level up and start getting into these larger deals. And let's talk about mindset, skill set, and toolkit in order to to make that shift.
1: Sure. So I think the mindset, <laughs> the big mindset problem, is probably imposter syndrome right? It's like, who am I? I'm just this little salesperson, this little independent consultant, this little entrepreneur. Oh my gosh, I'm selling into Google. I'm selling into Exxon Mobil, I'm selling into Amazon. I'm selling into Bank of America. Uh, understand that big companies have big problems and the mantra is solve bigger problems, get bigger checks. So our expertise and what our products and services actually do for people Uh, don't talk about what it is, talk about what it does and talk about what it means. Because when you talk about what it does, what change are we catalyzing? When you talk about what it means, what's the ultimate outcome? What's the personal outcome, financial outcome, professional outcome for that individual person that you're selling to also realize of course, that as you were saying earlier, uh, each of these big companies, it's a human being that you're reaching out to. It's gonna be a VP, senior VP, EVP, They have emotions, they have problems, they have crap on their desk that they wish would go away. They have goals that they have not yet achieved and you can totally, totally help them. So at that point, it becomes a research project. And part of what I I teach also is don't go after the laggards. Don't go after the people that you're like, oh boy, they're in real trouble. I know I can help them because oftentimes the people who need us the most are never gonna buy. They're just never gonna buy. So the soundbite is me, the can best. Can
0: I add to that? And if they do Please. buy from
1: you, they 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 think you're going to be
0: Jesus and save their company, and you're never yes. going to be able to resurrect it. It's you know, it's it's not Lazarus. You're not going to win, and you're and you, so you lose on both sides. You your reputation takes a hit because you can't fix a problem that they can't they can't even conceive about you know
1: fixing themselves. Yes, Amen. Times ten for sure. So looking at looking at what those individual people, what do they have to gain if we fix it? What do they have to lose if they don't fix it? And you can get this intelligence because the best of the best are the ones who invest, So start out not looking at the laggards, look at the best companies and the best companies across a whole bunch of different dimensions. So best places to work in America, best places for leadership, best places for sales, best employers for diversity, equity, inclusion, best places to work for millennials, best places for working moms, best places in Seattle and Philadelphia and Orlando and Europe and whatever. So looking at the lens of who are the high-performing companies, where do I have an angle or an opportunity to get in? And part of what I have in the book is actually an angles and opportunities profile document, that if you start to fill that out and you do that with a combination of Google research, look on YouTube, look at media interviews, look at Listen Notes, which is the podcast search engine, find out where their executives have been interviewed and featured and profiled. All of this is at our fingertips right now. Put together this angles and opportunities. What do they want? What are they wrestling with? What is the angle that we need to come in with that's going to either move forward a strategic initiative or solve a really mission critical problem that the CEO talked about or that VP talked about or that person was profiled as you know really wrestling with this new big opportunity or this new big problem. And then what's the opportunity? How do our products and services directly connect to solving that problem or achieving that outcome. Once you complete this angles and opportunities document, everything becomes clear. Instead of staring at a blank email screen, which I'm, not, I'm never gonna email Jeb again, we're just gonna talk on the phone from now on, but whether it's phone, email, whatever, carrier pigeon, God forbid you write a handwritten note. Imagine if a handwritten note arrived on that executive's desk, quoting, what they're up against, what they're working on, why it's important, and how you might be able to help them, and then it's simply an invitation to a conversation. By the way, my invitation to a conversation is four words: worth a short chat? Question mark. I end every email, I end every letter, every handwritten note, even every every voicemail. All right, let you me. Know, I gotta stop you. For, is that, is that you worth down? a You're, short chat?
0: Take a breath. First of all. Let's stop for a second. Um, Listen Notes, y'all pay attention to that. David just dropped a big one. He's moving so fast, he's he's like, he's dropping these bombs. Listen Notes is a place where you can search podcasts for the audience that you're looking to target, learn things about them, because people tend to express problems they're having, issues, opportunities, and it's a, a killer way to do amazing research. So write that down. Second thing is... Handwritten notes. Uh, especially when you're trying to get into a large company and you're trying to get into to see an executive. So I I I don't want to I don't want to leave this because it's super important. Um you're you're it's unlikely that you're going to get a CEO or a top-level executive to pay attention to you with an email. How do I know that? That's who I hang out with all the time. Those are that's I advise CEOs and top-level executives. And you know what they complain about? Email all the crap that salespeople send them. And to a person, they say, I don't even look at it anymore. You're wasting your time and effort. But the one inbox that is empty is the mailbox. And crazy as it sounds, David, I got a handwritten note the other day ago from a salesperson who wanted to talk to me. Trisha at my front desk got it, and she called me. My phone rang. Now, we're, we're talking about we're only about 20 yards from my front desk, okay? But she called me. And I'm sitting in the studio and I answer the phone and she goes, Jeb, um, there's a handwritten note up here. Um, it's for you. What do you want me to do with it? Just like that, like all of a sudden, the world stopped because there's a handwritten note. And uh, I said, well, uh, bring it to me. So she got up and brought, brings it back here and I open it up and it's a note from this sales rep and it's a really nice note. And at the end he says, would it be worth a chat? And his phone number was there. And you know what I did? I picked up the phone and I called him right there on the spot. And I did it for a couple of reasons. Emotionally, it made me feel important that he'd taken the time. I also feel like I kind of owed him something because this kid actually worked at this. And I called him a kid because he was young, but like he actually did this and it was unique. And he's the only person in the last five years that sent me a prospecting email and a handwritten note. And I responded. And I do the same thing, but I put them in a FedEx package. I'll send a hand, I'll put a written note, put their name on it, and I'll FedEx into them, them. It costs me 20 bucks, but I always get a response. And the FedEx envelope's always going to get to the executive. But but that those are like what you just described. I mean, the way that you were walking through that, like you've got to identify the best companies. Don't go over here. And you've got to identify the, you know, the top-level people, and you've got to find a unique way to connect with them. And by the way, it's got to be personal it's got to work it can't be the same old crap that they've heard a million times It's got to be unique to their problem and gosh listen notes what a. I mean i i don't even think about how powerful that could be until you said it holy crap that's worth the, the price of admission to the podcast folks so let me ask you another question on this 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 issue it's easier to call someone in middle management they'll answer the phone they'll go to lunch with you Oh yeah. Um, Okay. How it's, it's not always a bad strategy, but how do consultants get into the middle management trap in large companies and never emerge?
1: Well, people, people like us, Jeb. We, we want to be liked. We want, you know, we want to say, Hey, can we, yeah, no, we can. Let's go to lunch. Let's go to breakfast. Absolutely. They have plenty of time. And I mean, you know, ask any seasoned salesperson, I'm sure you've got some tremendous war, war stories here. We've bought a lot of lunch, breakfast, dinner, coffee, and drinks for completely unqualified, non-economic buyers. So if, if it's like a little bit too easy, there's probably a catch, meaning that person has the authority to say no, but they do not have the authority to say yes. So because we like being comfortable, because we like feeling, that, oh, hey, look, I got a meeting. It's not a meeting if they don't have economic buying power. So I think part of what we have to do as as professional sellers is stop worrying about being liked, stop worrying about sounding smart and connect with people for a real conversation, question-based conversation, not a pitch, not a one-way data dump, not a fire hose, but literally sit down with economic buyers, ask them penetrating, relevant, highly valuable questions. So one of the things that I truly believe is low level people, they want their questions answered. High level people, they want their answers questioned. So if you can bring new insight, if you can ask penetrating questions, you can start to reframe the conversation about those problems or about those outcomes that they want, they will listen to you because high level people like to be challenged.
0: So when you think about that, um, there's a strategy of using low-level people to get to the top. And let me, let me break this down for you. So one of the problems that we face when we go in with a low-level person is that they're happy to have lunch. They're happy to talk to you. They're happy to, to demonstrate that they're the decision maker, but they're probably not. So number one is that if you go into those conversations, you have to go in with your eyes wide open. Like You have to go in and understand where you sit. The thing about C-level people is they like insight. And insight's great because they they want, they want, they like getting information that they don't already have. Otherwise, there's no value to spend time with you, and they don't have a lot of time. What I've found over the years is that there's been an entire apparatus around insight selling. Challenger was one of them. And the entire apparatus, especially in marketing, was to give, give people, arm them with information so they could take it into executives and then feed that information to the executives. And for the most part, not been a really good winning strategy because most of the information that they're giving the executives is easily discoverable and not really something of value. And the executives feel like they're being just they're being again they're just being pitched information to. But when I work with with consultants and, and especially in IT groups, what I try to help them with is understanding that the C level group often does not have awareness or visibility of what's happening in the bowels of their organization. That may be impacting them. So it's leveraging the lower level or mid-level people who are using or impacted by problems or can see opportunities as amplifiers up in the organization and using them for research so you can get stories. So that when I'm sitting down, if I get that meeting with the executive, I'm able to, without telling them that their, uh, their baby's ugly, is saying, you know, were you aware that this was happening? No, let me tell you a story. I talked to Ted over here, did this research, found this out and this this, this isn't happening. And if this wasn't happening, you would drop $3 million directly to the bottom line. Now, I'm gonna give you a real life example of this for my own world. Same conversation, lower level people ask a few questions, got my calculator, did some math. Turned out that if they could take three days off of their receivables, three days, right? That was it, um, three days that they would put $6 million directly to the bottom line. And what my pitch was, we should teach the people who are collecting money from your customers how to sell them on paying you earlier. And we implemented that, but it was that pitch that got the CEO to go, okay, tell me more. But ha- but had I not had that, if i just gone in and said, how can I help you, wouldn't have worked. The insight came from inside the organization but I couldn't get that insight from the CEO. I had to get that insight from inside the organization. I just couldn't get boxed in with people who said, oh, I'll take the information up.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I think that's a huge distinction. So research with mid to low level people, and then, because then, you know, you hear a lot of sales professionals, and again, especially consultants, oh, I don't wanna go over so-and-so's head. You weren't, that's a totally separate conversation. There's the research conversation. Then there's the sales conversation that is immediately and only with the high-level decision maker. But you bring to that conversation the research that you've done before.
0: Exactly. And usually the way I I just position it is, hey, I'm going to be having a conversation with your C-suite about some particular issues. Before I go, I was wondering if you'd spend some time with me because I want to make sure that I'm advocating for the people in the organization that are impacted by the problems that I fix. Nice. Can we talk? And they're like, yeah. And it turns out, by the way, that if you sit down with someone that's inside the organization that maybe not have a say, like they don't have a decision making, but they're impacted or even they can talk to people and you just spend some time listening to them. They really like you. And then they become an advocate. Sometimes they become a coach. But in a lot of cases, they'll start calling upwards and saying, you know, I was talking to David and he was asking some questions about this stuff and you know what he's right we need to do something about this we just we've been sitting on this you know i don't know if he's called you yet but if he does you should talk to him so you actually begin building a network in the organization through those interviews which by the way brings me to the star of this show david um my favorite part of your entire book uh, cuz i think it's one of the most powerful tips that you gave in terms of connecting with people and that's around the power of using interviews for prospecting. Now it's an indirect prospecting channel. Like it's not like sending an email. And I'm I'm serious, folks. Don't send me any more emails. You want to talk to me, call me. Like my phone number is published. Okay, you can find it. If you did a research and just rent Jeb Blunt's cell phone number, I guarantee you could find it. And the I, I don't care where I am. The phone's it's if it has it rung once. No, it's everywhere. I stood in front of three thousand salespeople on Saturday and told every one of them my phone number from the stage, wrote it on a slide. The phone never rang, didn't even get a text message. What is wrong with people? Talk with people. But let's let's talk about interviewing. So you talked about how you can use interviewing for prospecting. Yes. Now, pay attention to this, folks. I've talked about this before in different forums. This is gold. Like, this is a game changer. It's- especially when you want to meet people in the
1: C-suite. Yes. So interviews as a marketing strategy is about take off your salesperson hat, put on your investigative journalist hat, and you're going in purely to gather intelligence, gather intelligence, build relationship, build connection with a high level C-suite. If you sell to the C-suite people that you could never, never get in with otherwise, they're behind multiple layers of bulletproof glass. Uh, Their emails are screened, their phone calls are screened. Uh, You are not getting them. You are not getting to them any other way. So the premise of this is that the title of the interview series needs to have an embedded compliment. So they wanna feel good about being invited to this interview. So for example, if you were a corporate innovation consultant It's how smart leaders at top companies profit from breakthrough innovations. If you notice, there's three embedded compliments in there. Smart leaders, ooh, I'm a smart leader. Top company, oh yes, we have a top company, profit from breakthrough innovations. We have breakthrough innovations all the time. Of course, I'd love to be featured in that article. So then you show up and you start asking questions. The questions are, Tell me about your biggest successes. You always want to start with the positive. No one wants to air their dirty laundry until some level of trust and rapport has been built. So, what are some big successes? What what would have been two or three nuggets that only you know and not a lot of people know? What's been the best advice that you've ever gotten on this topic? If someone were starting down this path, what would you advise them? Then you segue smoothly into I'm curious, what is your next level of success look like? What, what, what are you working on right now that's a little bit of a thorny problem or a little bit of an obstacle to what you wanna do next? And then this is literally five, six questions. That's all you need. You're asking for 15 or 20 minutes on their calendar. If it's 20 minutes, let's say we're at the 18 and a half minute mark and they've been talking 90% of the time asking questions, sharing their successes, sharing their pet peeves. At 18 and a half minutes, you say, well, Jeb, I'm sensitive to our time. Uh, I know that we have about 90 seconds left. I'm okay to continue. What would you like to do? If you've done everything and you've let them talk like, oh, I'm free to the top of the hour. So I always book an hour. I ask for 20 minutes or 15 minutes. I always book an hour and almost always they wanna continue. Why? Because we're talking about their favorite person, them. So then the interview is done. The magic of the interview is not doing the interview. That's where it starts. It's not even publishing or posting the interview. It's all the follow-up touch points after the interview has happened, where again, handwritten note. So you send an email, thank you. You also send the thank you card in the mail, hand addressed with a real stamp that lands on their desk two days later. Then they get an email that says, hey, I finished up the article, have a look at it. I think it turned out great. Any changes, any quotes you wanna change, just let me know. They're looking at that like, oh my God, this is great. Maybe you publish this on your blog the following week, you email them, the subject line is your name in lights or blogged about you this morning everyone's gonna open that email. Then I have another idea for you. Here's a resource, here's a link, here's a checklist. Not all of this stuff has to come from you and your company. So this could be from a media source that they read, recognize, and respect. Fast Company, Fortune, Inc., Business Week, whatever. You're always showing up like a happy squeaky wheel every seven to 10 days. Hey, this just came across my inbox. It made me think of you and the challenges that you mentioned with retention or with whatever the problem was that they said. By touch point six or seven, you have earned the right to have the following pivotal conversation. Hey, Jeb, we've been talking a lot about your challenges with problem A, problem B, and problem C. I think there may be some ways I can be more formally helpful to you. Would that be worth a short chat? So now think about this. You've established yourself as an expert, as an authority, literally an author, who is publishing this interview series. Uh, you have been radically helpful and radically generous for the past three or four weeks, every seven to 10 days, some sending something valuable and relevant that they can use or they can share with their team. If they've talked about real problems and your product or service solves those real problems, when you say, hey, we've been talking a lot about these problems, I think there may be some ways I can be more formally helpful to you. Would that be worth a short chat Many times the answer will be yes. Oftentimes they will approach you even before week four or five and say, Hey, Jeb, you know, we've been wrestling with this for a while now. I don't think it's going to solve itself. It seems that you do this kind of work. I, I went to your website, I saw you have this amazing collection of books and programs. Can we talk about how? So they will come to you about 20% of the time even before you invite them to a conversation. And this is the magic door opener that will get you in with your top prospects, even if you only do three of these a week. And three of these a week is really doable. Three of these a week means 12 a month, means 90 days from today, you will have 36 hand-picked, highly qualified C-suite executive decision-makers who know your name, recognize your name in their inbox, look forward to seeing you on their phone with caller ID and who are expecting helpful, relevant, valuable communication from you. Do you think 90 days from today, you could generate hundreds of thousands of dollars of business from those 36 hand-selected prospects? I do, and I think Jeb agrees with me.
0: Yeah, and I find that the the uh, conversion rate is much higher than twenty percent in terms of them making the the call on that. So them making the first move. So I, for for example, you know, I I've used um, interviews and in books. Now, I have to say that I don't go into any interview with the expectation that I'm going to get something from it because I consider that premeditated resentment. So when totally. I when I'm interviewing people, it is not I am I'm interviewing them because I I sincerely want the information that they have to give. Yes. So that's that's my that's my focus. So if I'm if I'm interviewing someone for a book, I want to have a conversation with them. writing a book, I'll, I'll have a conversation with them about that podcasting because I've had a podcast since 2007 makes, makes it super easy to have conversations and get in to talk with people. And I have a podcast kit that I carry in my bag with me when I'm traveling. So even if I meet someone interesting in the an airport and I go, hey, you got a few minutes, let's sit down, and do a, a 15 minute podcast. I can drop them on my my podcast and, and bring them in. And if you've listened, you've heard some 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 ones from in restaurants and other things that I've haven't been able to fix the sound, but it connects people to you in a unique way because of what you said. Everyone has an insatiable need to feel important. And when you're interviewing someone and they're talking about themselves, the most important person in their life, it makes them feel important. It makes them feel significant. It makes them feel like they matter. And that's is by the way the greatest gift that you can give another human being. And when you give someone that gift, they feel an obligation to give something back to you. Now they don't always do that. That's why you have to be very careful not to walk in with the expectation that if I do the interview I'm going to get something because people can see right through that. But they feel totally. an obligation to give something back. So what I've found over the years is that it I'm I'm in the 80% range of of, of the person saying, "Hey, you know, since you're here, we've got a problem or um, I'll set up lunch with them and, and say, here's the, you know, here's the, the article. What do you think? And they'll go, that's really good. Like, you know, we, maybe we should get together and talk about this. So it, it it's, I think, a lot easier than than even, you know, most people even understand. It's just almost like magic as long as you're doing it for the right reasons so yes. if you're writing something on your blog uh I, you know seriously take a take a, a video and you know camera in there with you set your iphone up and interview them and put it on youtube uh if you're being respectful if you're pulling information out of them if you're learning something from them th- your audience is going to like it it's a great way for you to bolster your credibility on social media one of um one of the the the, the i think your p's right so uh was, right. it, was it keep yeah so i th- it helps you with that but it just creates emotional connections that even by the way and i think this is important may not pay off immediately but that person never forgets that you thought that their information was important and one day they're going to loop back around to you so yes. it's it's powerful and literally anybody can do that because we can all blog like l- everybody who listens to this you can you could go interview me and you could post the article on LinkedIn no cost to you nothing there's an article place where you can do that everybody could hop on a zoom and do an interview and post the post the video everybody not everybody writes a book but but you know a lot of people have podcasts these days and people are willing to show up for your podcast so just all these ways that you can use this and here's the cool thing about this wrapping this back up to our IQP when you're doing these interviews these are smart people in a lot of cases, they're looking over the horizon at things that you can't even see. And what I find is that when I'm doing these interviews, they're teaching me how to shift and change my business. And sometimes I'm in the middle of the interview and I'm in my head going, God, you're a moron. Like this guy knows what he's doing or she knows how to run a business, and what are you doing? Like your business, the, what you're a moron, fix this. So I come yeah. back and I rearrange things. So the whole process of doing these interviews makes, it's like good for everybody. Everybody wins, you win, they win, the audience wins. So I, I just think that you know if you take this book and you pull those pieces out, just absolute gold.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. So one quick validation of this, I was at a seminar and I was teaching this strategy. Guy in the back of the room is raising his hand frantically. It was one of these like long rooms. So he's like way in the back of the caboose there. And I'm like, sir, go ahead. What do you got in the back of the room? He stands up, he says, David, I I was a corporate communications director for a Fortune 500 company for the last 22 years. I'm now an independent consultant doing PR and media consulting. But when I was on the inside, this kind of article and this kind of request, if it ever came across our desk, this is what we were paid to do. And we would walk you into the C-suite. We would make sure the CEO has time on the calendar because we wanted his name and the company name in print. So, David, I just want to let you know this strategy absolutely works, and it's what our C-suite executives are looking for every single day. Yep. And that was just huge validation that this is absolutely effective. It's
0: so powerful. It just works. All right. So, Do It Selling. You can already see that I've got my little sticky notes in here because I've been reading this wonderful book. Do It Selling by David Newman. David, tell people how they can find you.
1: Sure. So, the book is available wherever fine books are sold, including Amazon. There's some companion downloads, tools, and training at Do It Selling. Dot com, And we also have some free training not related to the book uh, at doitmarketing.com slash webinar. But all the goodies related to the book are at doitselling.com.
0: Doitselling.com. Folks, do yourself a favor. Go pick this book up. It's a super easy read. It's one of my, my favorite ways to read a book. Really short chapters, easy to consume. And there's uh, 77 instant action and ideas to land bigger clients, bigger deals, and higher fees. You can see I'm old now. i got to hold the book out to see that. But it's a, just a super easy book, and it's uh, it's really well put together. There's, there's even color pictures in there. So for all of you folks that need a color picture, having a hard time reading a book, uh, David, uh, thank you so much for joining me today on the Sales Gravy Podcast. And, folks, if you want to upskill, if you want to learn how to sell, if you want to close more business, fill up your pipeline – Go to Salesgrave University. We have courses from over 40 top experts. And my master trainers are teaching live courses every single day that you can join with your peers and join mastermind groups. These things are incredible. Like People are creating these amazing relationships, both on and offline, and they're solving problems together through our facilitated mastermind groups. Right now, you can pick any course you want on Salisgrave University for absolutely free if you've never taken a course before. Go to learn.salisgravy.com. That's learn.salisgravy.com. Use the code free course, and we'll see you next time on the Sales Gravy Podcast.